Well, my first rep job, so worked for Dad was still in the company then. I really wasn't meant to work when he was there, but anyway, I did. And same, they called it Top Gun. So I won it two quarters in a row. And I overheard, who's ended up being a good friend of mine, say, we can't give it to this guy three times in a row. And they basically said, well, how are you doing this? I said, it's easy. I asked you for a mobile phone and you wouldn't give me one, right? So I went and bought my own and I said to the customers, you call me, you know, it'll cost you 80 cents. You call me when the stock arrives and I'll put it up quicker than, you know, waiting two days or three days, right? I knew the value of that. And that's why I was getting these amazing results. It was just from that initiative that I took. And when they heard that, they're like, oh, well, okay, we'll give it to you three times. And luckily I got promoted, so they didn't have to give it to me a fourth time. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Schramko. Helping you build your business super fast. fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 700. And today we have Paul Higgins from buildlivegive.com. And there's a bit of a clue in that domain name about what we're going to be talking about today. Hello, Paul. Hi, James. Great to be here. Known you for a while. I think I first got to really know you in the bar at the hotel at one of my live events. We had a long conversation about your meteoric career with working for really big companies like Coca-Cola. And then you built up some enormous team in the Philippines. And it was really impressive to see how you had approached big business and then started to apply it into our world. And uh, at the same time as all of this is going on, you've had some really interesting life challenges come along, which I will say have been really inspirational for me and a lot of other people in our community. So I hope we're going to be able to cover some of these things. Yeah, look, uh, definitely. And I really appreciate your support as well. I know you've always been sending me notes and uh, that's so encouraging to get those from you. So yeah, really appreciate it. So why don't we talk about that transition? Because I think uh, you've got a book out recently called Build, Live, Give. And you cater for a certain market, and I think that market's quite instructive for both the path you've taken and what you've been trying to help others with. So why don't you give us a little overview on your sort of take on what's happening in business right now through the framework that you've been using, and then we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, sure. So uh, as you said, I you know, had a, a career at Coca-Cola. as a great company and uh, gave me lots of opportunities. I always was in Australia but used to uh, travel around the world and work a lot of long hours. And um, effectively, my specialist said, look, Paul, if you continue to do that, you'll have kidney failure in a couple of years, or you can take a different path and try to push that out. And 2011, that was, I took the ladder, roughly, you know, transplant will sort of last 20 years. So I wanted to see my grandkids and everything else that comes with living longer. And um, yeah, so I left and you know, I wish I had met you earlier, James, because I made, you know, nearly every mistake you could make as a corporate person thinking that it was the same as running your own business. And, um, you know, I sort of did it solo. I was pig-headed. I just did a lot of things wrong. And then, um, you know, like you said, I, I built up some businesses, so an outsourcing business and also a, a technology business. And uh, then my health took a little bit more of a turn and they said it's not a good idea to be traveling to the Philippines where my team was. And thanks to your encouragement, when I started working with you, you thought, well, you know, you're doing too many things, three businesses, and none of them are really doing as well as you'd like. So long story short, that's when I set up a mastermind and uh, went overseas with my family for eight weeks. How good's that? And with regards to the medical stuff, were you predisposed to some particular condition that 
would have got you no matter what you were doing or, or was it purely working the corporate grind that really got you into trouble? No, look, it's a 50-50 at birth and it's each individual birth, it's 50% chance. So, you know, my brother's got it. My mother just passed with it. You know, it's just littered through the family and it goes back probably three generations and it's just a mutation. It's called polycystic kidney disease and I've got it in the kidney. So when I had a kidney recently removed, it was like the size of nearly a basketball. It was just over three and a half kilos, and I've still got one of those in um, the other side. And, um, yeah, the cysts just grow. So some grow really slow, some grow really fast. And I think working the lifestyle I had probably didn't help, you know, some of the sugar I used to have as well with Coca-Cola is a bit like working for the devil. You know, it sort of meant that I probably expediated the end outcome, but it was always going to happen that way. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's literally the size of a newborn. Like to put that in perspective for people who haven't had a newborn lately, <laughs> and that's a lot to carry around. If you, yeah, well, some people have twenty kilos. Some have like one kidney is twenty kilos. Oh my god! You know, it's just quite incredible. And I've got them in the liver as well, but the liver are, are fine. The liver's not an issue. And you know, at my lowest was six percent kidney function, and it's a bit like just being in a fog all the time. I used to ride quite a bit, and I try to remember everyone's surnames, but I couldn't even get you know even maybe twenty percent of the surnames because yeah, it was like having a permanent hangover. But uh, as soon as I went on dialysis, that lifted, and you know I've been really lucky since. We've had a couple of parallels, but mine have definitely not been anywhere near as severe. I know when I started to pay much more attention to my health because I felt like I was working too much, like my whole neck was seizing up, my joints were getting difficult. I did MRI and DNA and all these other tests and through a series of um, that and having other people sort of look at me and help me out, discovered that I was um, not reacting well to gluten, that I had osteoarthritis. And I was feeling lethargic. You know, if I'd eat gluten, I'd just feel like really lethargic. All I'd want to do is just crawl into bed with a headache and a rumbly tummy. And I always thought it was something else, you know, maybe it was the onions in my pasta or whatever, but it was the wheat. And I tell you what, having that sort of business that we have now with more virtually based is such a differential when it comes to not just surviving, but actually thriving still. You can put in a real minimal baseline of work in a business like ours once it's established to just maintain it. Now, if you want to go the extra, put in extra hours and really get ambitious, you can take it so much further. But I will say it's one of those sort of businesses that are like a garden, you know, once you've set it up, it's really just a matter of grooming it to keep it going. But just like you coming from corporate, when I came from the real job, I found it extraordinarily hard to go online. I, I thought it would be much easier than it ended up being. Tell us about some of the challenges that you faced that got you surprised by just how hard it was. Yeah, look, um, everyone always said, you know, you need an offer that converts. And I didn't really pay enough attention to that. So, you know, I'd have lots of coffee meetings, lots of chats. You know, I was always used to people coming to me and selling me things, you know, effectively. You know, most suppliers wanted to work with Coca-Cola and even your clients, they, were, they weren't new clients. You'd had, you know, I managed Coles, which is one of the largest supermarkets in Australia for three years. And, you know, they had Coke. You didn't have to sell to them per se. You just had to sell more to them. And yes, yeah, so I found that really difficult and, and always came from, you know, a brand that people knew, like you, Mercedes, for me, Coca-Cola, and I'd walk into a networking room and people say, what do you do? And I just couldn't answer it. I, I just could not for the life of me say what I did. And I found that really strange because I spent my whole career trying not to tell people I worked at Coke because they'd either, you know, want a job or they'd know someone there. Send us some free samples. 
Do they ask you for that? Correct, you know. <laughs> correct all the time, right? They used to say that at Mercedes-Benz. Yeah, just send over the samples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you know, every major event for the school, you know, you know, you get that call. You know, can you just... So it was always that. And I used to say to people, I was just a forklift driver. And no offence to any forklift drivers. I know, you know, it's a difficult job, but I just didn't want people to hit me up for a job when I was a director. So... You know, I sort of came from that where, you know, I never had an ego, but it was easy. Whereas in your own business, oh my God, I, I just didn't realize no one cared about my background. No one really cared about me per se. All they wanted was the result. And I was struggling to get a result because I didn't actually even know what I did. Yeah, I can relate to this. You know, when we ran ads for salespeople at Mercedes-Benz, I'd ask them why they've applied. They said, oh, because it's Mercedes-Benz. The brand is so strong, such an iconic brand, and it really is in the same sort of category, Coca-Cola and Mercedes-Benz, that a lot of the infrastructure around that uh, is sort of taken for granted. And what I found so hard, just like you, is like, what am I going to sell? And Mm. I do remember after I had started building my database and I'd found the thing that I'm going to sell and I was scaling it up. And then I was looking at the financials of the dealership that I worked for, and I was looking at the financials of my own business. And this is just when I quit my job, like just before I quit. One of the triggers for me was I'd reached a crossover point where I was making the same amount of profit as the entire Mercedes-Benz dealership I was working at. Wow. I was doing it by myself with one assistant and a help desk person with a tiny database of several thousand customers. And this dealership was this, you know, $50 million a year beast with 70-something staff and, you know, huge costs, land, stock. I mean, one of the biggest costs was rent back to the holding company, which was also owned by the family that owned the business at the time. You know, they kind of run all the costs through it and end up with not much at the end of the day. Tiny little margins. But we have these amazing things. Once you find your offer that converts, away you go. And I have seen you consolidate and streamline and simplify. And now you've got this beautiful brand that is a website, a podcast, and a book. Tell us what Build, Live, Give is all about. Yeah, so simplest terms, it's, you know, uh, build a great business to fund your lifestyle and give back. And, you know, I heard it on a podcast one day and I thought, that's me. You know, that's what I stand for. And, you know, for me, you know, like you said, I, I had to set up a life. Well, I had to decide my lifestyle, which was improve my health, push off kidney failure as long as I could. That came with a whole lot of changes in my lifestyle. And then I had to pick a business that basically would fund me living that lifestyle, i.e. how could I work on a computer in a hospital on a dialysis machine and still make money? And when I first started, I was swapping time for money. So I was doing a lot of, you know, coaching face-to-face and the economics just didn't stack up. And like you've been trained well, I was trained incredibly well. Like I think I could be a CFO in a lot of ASX listed companies or publicly listed companies because of, you know, I used to buy billion dollar companies, you know, we were always the detail of my numbers. And I looked at my numbers and I said, yeah, why did I start this? I could have started anything, but why did I start a model that's just the unit economics don't make sense? And, you know, with your help as, you know, basically changed all of that and where now yeah look I've got a small team now I'm certainly not at the scale that you are but it now keeps my wife saying mm, Paul I think you should go back to corporate because this just isn't working right interesting I mean in terms of scale like I've gone all the way up to 65 and then now I've got a team of six so we are a lean lean fighting machine the size we are is like the perfect balance of the way that I want to live my life it's interesting the give part of your phrase because I think a lot of the people in the entrepreneurial space, and I'd put myself in this bucket, we often start out because we need to make the money and 
the giving back part, that just doesn't come into the equation. I can tell you when I had all these kids and mortgages and <laughs> was under the pump, giving back was like, <laughs> hang on, let me sort my own stuff out first. Let me claw back some of the property off the bank, you know, who owns most of it. And uh, let me put food on the table before we worry about serving others. It's been a long time until that changed for me. Only once I built up a little bit of financial and time surplus, and I put time as a separate thing there because that's where a lot of people really suffer at our end of the spectrum. Mm. That's when I've started thinking about, you know, how can I help other people? And I think even just doing a podcast, so many episodes is one way to give back because, you know, we don't charge for these and people download them for free and lots of them, like millions of episodes. And I think that's one nice thing. I think even hiring a team is a way to give back because they're all supporting at least five people in the Philippines, as you would well know, uh, having such experience there. And I like to see the customers succeed because I'm very performance-based. I think that comes from being in a performance-measured environment, as you were as well. So, so many parallels. I said before that we get inspired by your health because you've had just massive challenges. At times, you've run your business from a phone, I'm supposing maybe an iPad in a hospital bed for weeks or months on end. Yeah, well, look, uh, a dialysis session used to be, and I'll link this to the give part. So a dialysis session was four and a half hours for me, three times a week. And, you know, I was lucky I had a permacath, which is effectively just a temporary valve up in your chest, which is, to be honest, easy. But if you look at some of the fistulas that people have, they're like, you know, they're not very pretty and someone's got to put a massive needle in those every time and you can't move your arm. So dialysis is not fun. But yeah, I would work the whole time. And, you know, my way of giving was, you know, I was just to be there for my family, given my health was so bad. And also... You know, like you said, I supported people in the Philippines where, you know, they could give their parents a house or, you know, fund the family. So I felt that was great. But, you know, I, it was mainly looking after me, to be honest, especially, um, you know, the last 12 months, it was very much like that. But as soon as I got off dialysis, I had the transplant of successful. I thought, well, how can I give back? And I looked for a community where, you know, people, you know, I know how hard it is to do dialysis in the city. You know, it must be hard in regional communities. And I saw an episode of, um, it's called The Purple House, and it's where Indigenous people predominantly in Australia go and have dialysis, and they've got a dialysis truck that goes around and visits them because it's so difficult. And I thought, that's it. Like, I know how hard it was in the city. So now I give a large proportion of the funds that I earn goes to that. And the reason... The books are called Build, Live, Give, but, you know, it's never linear. So you're always giving, like you said, at the same time. But I'm going to write three. So the first one's mainly focused on build. Then I want to set up my own foundation and I want to actually, you know, talk about I want to live three months overseas and all those things so I'll be able to better talk about live. And then last one will be give. And, you know, sort of I put my, my name out there to put three books and I think I'll get better and better at the live and the give as I go on. But as you said, I've spent most of the time in the build phase up until now. Yeah, and I think also to the extent you have family and responsibilities, there can be an immediate draw on your resources. I'm finding as my kids get older, they're coming into a really expensive environment to try and succeed and thrive. And you're always feeling that sort of nagging responsibility that they need some resource or help as well. So yeah, and, and it's a really interesting 
Go on. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, um, when I used to, Stephen Covey, which I sort of read the book in 94, and that has had a big impact on my life, and there was a simple exercise when I was a trainer for them, and it just said, you know, what are your five to seven roles, and, you know, each quarter, just talk between zero and 10 how you're going to invest in those roles. So, you know, for me, I look at that, I read a daily reflection every day with that, and I just look at it, and at the moment, you know, community for me is a lot less and, you know, my business and my health is greater. And, you know, my daughter's just about to finish school, so I'm helping her a lot. So it sort of pivots and changes. But I find, like you said, time is the most vital resource. And I find a lot of people just trying to do it all. And to me, that just doesn't work. When I first left Coke, I tried to do it all. And now, you know, if I work 30 to 40 hours a week, you know, that's it for me. And it's fine. Like my profit probably improves rather than decreases. Oh, yeah. You can definitely make more profit. I've made the most profit this year, worked the least of any year in my life. And <laughs> that sounds a good title of a book. Maybe it's, uh, I mean, I did work less, make more. It's similar, but I like to, you know, continue tuning that formula. A big part of the awareness of that, and I know you like that exercise where we do this diagnostic and have a look at various elements of what's going on with various aspects. But I asked some unusual questions in there, like the state of your garage and how happy you are with your transport and if you like your business name and just things that are softer dimensions than just how much revenue you're making how much profit you're making in your lifetime customer value because I've noticed that if you're not happy in some areas of your life it can really nag into your business it can bleed across it could make you a grumpy manager or an unhappy boss if you keep going home and you can't close the door because you've got all this junk piling out of a room or whatever so really interesting just to sit down and scorecard yourself and see where you're at as a starting point and then check in with that. We do 12 weekly check-ins in, even in my own program because we found that is a good time to get progress, but it's not so far away that you just sort of put it off because of Parkinson's law, yeah. you know, things that are a year away, they just seems like forever. Spot on. And like, you know, personal effectiveness is what we focus on in the first, the sort of five drivers that, that we do, similar framework to you. And, you know, to be honest, I learned a lot from your framework and tailored it a little But You know, one of the things is the five energy drivers, you know, sleep, move, eat, connect and relax. And, you know, I get people to rate themselves out of 10 and, you know, it's it's a bit of an epiphany for them, especially sleep. Like every doctor, every GP in the world, that's the first question they should ask you. What is your sleep like? Because it's so, you know... Your brain is what makes you all the wealth in your own business. And, you know, if you're sleep deprived, that's going to have a huge impact. And for me, like when my kidneys were at 6%, you know, it was, you know, the lights were out most of the time. And I know what it's like to be so poorly functioning and then, you know, have dialysis and be so great. And I think sleep is so critical. And all those, and, you know, the theory is that you do all of those at once. And I, I know I listen to all your podcasts and you, you know, I think you had Anita on who's um, a good friend. Uh, that you introduced me to and she talked about, you know, being the CEO of you and I think that's so uh, critical. Absolutely and it's surprising when I do that diagnostic audit. A lot of people come up short on sleep. A lot of people come up short on the movement side of things and they come up, especially come up short on fun. (laughs) And anyone who's listened to this podcast know I like to surf as much as I possibly can. I've re-engineered my focus where really that is the priority. It took me so many years to be able to just switch off and to turn some business activity off and not worry about it until I pick it back up in a few days from now. Like, for example, this is literally the last appointment I have until four days from now. So I get four days off and then I start again. So I have a three-day week cycle and then a four days off. Three days on, four days off for scheduled calls, podcasts, coaching calls, et cetera. 
And I found that routine is great and it's taken a lot of discipline to build in a day and then two days and then three and then four where I don't plot appointments. But once you do it, you get your life back and you're back in the driver's seat. And as you and I both said, you can actually make more money by doing that because you're so deliberate and so focused when you are on that your off time is truly off. And most people never get to switch the button off. They're just drowning in social media or attending their business, you know, all day, every day, checking through their inbox. Notifications are coming in. Their adrenal gland keeps spiking. They haven't got control of it. Yeah, look, I agree. And, and, you know, I run a community of about 100 people where we're sort of focusing on getting more leads, which is ultimately a big challenge for a lot of people, especially when they, you know, leave corporate and go through that journey as we spoke about before. And, you know, so I'm working with people in all time zones around the world. The middle of my day is blocked in. No one can get in there. And it's effective. I go for a bike ride. I go for a swim. Not in winter, but now I am. <laughs> go for a swim. I then have a really healthy lunch. And then I go for a nap for a half an hour. And, you know, I do that every day. So it's just become a, a routine. And i got to tell you, yesterday I didn't have that half an hour nap. And it, like, I was really impacted. By the end of the day, I was exhausted. So, you know, I think if you're listening, you're in control of that. Like, you know, it's your business. So you run your business, don't let it run you. And I think, you know, just set those key default components in your life and then let everything else work around. And it will. Like, you know, James, you're probably similar to me, but like if I had to do a presentation to the CEO of the Coke company globally, which, you know, he'd come out here once a year, you know, I wouldn't sleep for probably two months in preparation for that. And I'd do a thousand times the presentations and all the iterations and just the stress. Whereas now, you know, I only pick people I love to work with that I know that are going to live those values of build, live, give. And it's it's really enjoyable. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I, I walked into a, a corporate office when I spent my first 18 years there. <laughs> yeah, I used to feel scared going back to school. It took me a long time to get over that <laughs> fear. I, I just grew up with such a repressed feeling around authority like that. I think I almost got the stick once in my, this all-boys private school by accident. It was nothing to do with me. I actually got assaulted. Like This kid did a flying tackle and took me out and then uh, a teacher walked around the corner and sent us both off to the sergeant major's office and we were both going to get six of the best. I mean, that almost broke me. It was frightening. I haven't sent any of my kids to private school. It's just like a bastardry factory of snobs and up themselves kids of lawyers and solicitors. I'm still probably affected by it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking about yeah, and, and look, and it's about taking the good. So, like, for me, you know, like, I always joke that Coke is one of the best run companies in the world, but not one of the best products, right? And that's sort of declining over time. And they're trying to fast track that. But, you know, especially sugar in Australia was the canary in the coal mine and we could see it coming. But, you know, there were some brilliant things they did. And like you, I've gone around to other companies when I first started consulting and I'm like, wow, you know, you guys are light years behind. So I think there's so much good. But like you said, there's so many things that I just... You know, even myself, I used to quiver like, you know, the person I was, I'm like day and night. It's like Saul and Paul, a biblical change in how I used to behave to how I behave now. Yeah, I didn't have any issue with the product I was involved with, which is great. <laughs> the oh, I, did. I tell you what, the way they run dealerships, it's a really tough industry. They're hardcore and they fudge figures and stuff, which used to drive me insane. Mm-hmm. I'd be driving home at the end of the month. And then we'd get a call from the state office and they'd say, listen, we need to count the cars that are coming on the boat next week in the month. And I'm like, but the boat hasn't docked yet. And they're like, yeah, sorry, we need to count them to report back to Germany because we've got to get our targets. I'm like, I don't care about your targets. The cars aren't here. You can't count them for the month. 
they said, we're counting them or you're going to lose your franchise. And that used to just make my blood boil, Mm. the level of dishonesty. And then other things happened too that caused me massive chaos. Like one year I was supposed to win the sales manager of the year for the third time. And a little backroom meeting at the head office, they uh, decided that I'd won it too many times. So, they gave it to someone else. So, now it became like a communism award. It's like, let's just pass it around to everyone. Otherwise, people will just feel like it's unwinnable Yeah, if the same guy keeps winning it. That drove me crazy when I found out about that. Well, my first rep job, so, you know, worked for Dad was still in the company then. I really wasn't meant to work when he was there. But anyway, I did. And same, I won. They call it Top Gun. So, I won it two, two quarters in a row. And I overheard who's ended up being a, a good friend of mine say, we can't give it to this guy three times in a row. Similar thing. And they basically said, well, how are you doing this? I said, it's easy. I asked you for a mobile phone and you wouldn't give me one, right? So I went and bought my own and I said to the customers, you call me, you know, it'll cost you 80 cents. You call me when the stock arrives and I'll put it up quicker than, you know, waiting two days or three days, right? I knew the value of that. And that's why I was getting these amazing results. It was just from that initiative that I took. And when they heard that, they're like, oh, well, okay, we'll give it to you three times. And luckily I got promoted, so they didn't have to give it to me a fourth time. But yeah, look, I came across the exact same thing. And, and the great thing now is, like I said, running your own business, you know, you only got yourself to blame if you're not working with people you love. That's it. I literally put myself in a control position because I was sick of being bullshitted to. The reason I left BMW and went to Mercedes-Benz is a funny one because I was there for two years. It was my first sales role in the automotive industry, first full-time sales role, full stop. You know, I was 23 when I started. Is uh, I was in the number one position. I went on holidays. I came back and there was an ad while I was on holidays for Mercedes-Benz and I'd spoken to the, this guy at the motor show and he said, hey, you don't have to work Sundays. You get paid more commission. You get a nicer car to drive. I'm like, oh, that's all great, but, you know, I do have loyalty and I'm, you know, I'm the top performer at BMW and I quite like the product. So, you know, the ad came out and I thought, no, I'm not going to apply. And then the yard hand called me and he said, oh, you're not going to like this. And I said, oh, that doesn't sound very good. He goes, all the guys in the other dealership have put their points together to one guy there to beat you by two points for the next month. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, they be- he beat you by two points. And just for references, I can't remember the exact number. It was like 10 or 12 points per car. So, he beat me by two points. So, like by a bumper bar. And it was because everyone got together and pulled their points for him. And again, I'm like, I'm just so ripped off. So, I picked up the ad again, called them up, drove in there and said, I'm going to come and work for you. I didn't even give him the choice, by the way. It was like a very unusual job interview. I said, I'm the number one BMW salesperson in Australia, and I would like to come and work for you now, if you'll have me. And they said, done. You know, when can you start? I said, right now, let's do it. So, that was how that happened. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we have the same history. You know, it's funny what you said about the mobile phone. Innovation must be a part of our makeup because when I was uh, at GMAC Finance, I used to repossess cars and, and do debt collection out in the field in the early 90s, 1991, 1992, this sort of time. And they gave us pages. I had to repossess cars with a pager. That meant that, let's say I go around to someone's house and they're behind on their payments I'd knock on the door and I'd say, hey, uh, oh, hi there, uh, Mr. Higgins, uh, James here. I'm just here to collect the payment. And you say, oh, mate, piss off. 
I'm not going to pay you. I, c- I don't have the money. I said, that's fine, but we do have to put the car into storage now. And you'd say, oh, what are you talking about? And I'd say, sorry, but we're going to have to take the car back until you can make the payments. And they'd say, oh, whatever. It's not happening. And then they'd slam the door in my face. Then I'd have to go next door or across the road, knock on the door and say, oh, hi there. Um, I'm wondering if I could just call a tow truck because I have to get my car picked up. And they'd say, oh, sure, come in. And I'd have to dial up a tow truck and I'd say, oh, listen, this is the address. Come and get the car. And then I'd go and wait in the bushes for half an hour till the tow truck comes. And then the tow truck would arrive and then I'd tell them to back up to that car there and then we'd just hook it up. Then I'd go back and knock on the door and I'd say, oh, Mr. Higgins, I just want to offer you a choice. Like aside from the payment, which would be great, you can either choose to give me the keys to the car or we're just going to drag it up the truck without the keys. You know, it might scrape a little bit, but it's up to you. (laughs) And after they threatened to kill me and- all of that good stuff. Then we drive off. The tow truck would drive off with the car and I'd drive off. And I was doing this with a pager. And I said to the managers, I mean, this is ridiculous. I should be able to use a mobile phone. And they said, oh, look, we don't have the budget. We're not going to fund it. So I just went out and bought one. Yeah. I think it was $1,700 back in 1991 or 92. It was the first, you know, 018 number for any Australians who are old enough to understand what that means. And Suddenly, I was just lapping the others. There was four agents out in the field, and we had to collect 15 a week, and I was doing like 60, and the others weren't even close. I collected more in a year than they would normally collect in five, and they had to issue us all a mobile phone after that. I actually documented all the expenses. I showed them a report and analysis of how much more effective it was, and they just couldn't deny it. And we got these clunky old Motorola's in a big sort of case that uh, you plug into the cigarette lighter, not the little portable one that I had, and uh, yeah, changed it. But I just got so fed up of big companies doing the most stupid things ever. And the other thing that really stuck in my mind was they were using these cassette recordings from America um, we'd learn about that. They would say on this recording, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I still remember this to this day. They say, um, when repossessing a car, avoid using terms like putting it in the barn. <laughs> and I think, I, you know, I wasn't actually going to say anything like that. No. no. <laughs> and the forms, they all had like 1967 stamped on the bottom. They had not changed their forms. This is in the 90s. They had not changed their forms for nearly 30 years. And this just all made me go crazy. I was destined to have my own business. But I think, you know, I'm bringing out all these stories for you because you've lived the corporate dream and you probably know exactly what this is like. And I think a lot of people in our industry, like the Ezra Firestones and the Molly Pittmans or whatever, they haven't worked for these huge companies and experienced the level of crazy stupidity and bureaucracy and you know, butt covering and budgets and all that stuff that we just don't have to deal with with our own business. No. Well, my dad used to always say, you know, every corporate guy's got his, he or her got their number. And, uh, you know, that's the final straw for me. I was offered a job one night. It was a, you know, director of, a, you know, about a $700 million, or sorry, it was the marketing director of a $700 million business. And um, the next day they said, no, we're actually uh, decided not to give you that and we'll just park you and find something else for you. So, you know, they gave it to me one night, took it away the next. And that was the best thing that could ever happen because that sort of, you know, my number was rolled and I, I took the decision out. But it's, to me, James, it's a bit similar to like these days. Like, you know, I find people still saying, look, I've got to do business face to face, right? I, I've got to see people in the eyes. I've got to do, like, there's a platform called LinkedIn, which has got 700 million users on it. You know, you can do work anywhere in the world at the moment. And then I've still got people saying, no, I want to be geography based and I want to, and I'm like, it's no different to the mobile phone. Like 
it's a gold rush at the moment. This LinkedIn thing is is going gangbusters. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't do it well, which spoil it. But for the ones that do do it well, it's a great opportunity, which is no different to like that technology shift we've just spoke about in, in corporate world. Yeah, and, and you've recognised it and you've actually put me onto the good bits of LinkedIn. You've helped me tune my profile a little bit. You've got a really effective little group there, I think, where you're educating people how to use it properly. And I see you very active on there and you often tag me and and help me out. I think you're just trying to show me what to do, which is great. And I was off LinkedIn for a number of years and I'm on it now. I do check into it pretty much daily and my team have been building connections and loading up videos and it is a much, much better platform than it was just a couple of years ago in my user experience. And there are certainly some private messages that are just way off the mark. Yeah, like, yeah. They're just crazy. Yeah, I actually, I think you've said it before, but I just send them back and say, if you receive this message, what would your thoughts be? Yeah, <laughs> I do have a bit of fun with them sometimes. You know, like they're trying to sell me coaching or something, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty much covered for that for now, thanks. <laughs> You know, when you're saying people want to do that face-to-face, I still get people who want someone to coach them face-to-face. They want someone to come around to their house and sit down beside them at the computer and do it with them. And I could categorically say they're the most unlikely people who are going to succeed in this world. If you can't detach from that, then it's going to be really tough for you. Got to be more nimble than that. And I was lucky because I had to, you know, I couldn't ask people to come around while I'm on dialysis and, you know, <laughs> if I do a coaching <laughs> no. session while I'm here for four and a half hours. But so it expediated, but I think I'm like, it was in my nature. It was always in my nature to say, how can I get someone the best result with, you know, effectively the least amount of effort for them and for me? And, you know, that's why at the moment we've sort of doubled down on LinkedIn because, you know, it is a brilliant return on investment. You don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to be on a plane. You you know, you can do it around the world at different time zones. It's like, it's just perfect. So anyone listening, I, I think, especially the posting side, I think like you said, a lot of the outreach, I'd say to people, you know, you wouldn't walk up to someone you don't know in a cafe and say, hey, would you mind buying me a coffee? And to me, some of the messages I get on LinkedIn are exactly the same. It's like delete instant. But if you do a great post with really good content and other people like and comment, which gives you a bit of trust, and then you message them in the right way. I love um, what's Dean Jackson's, oh, sorry, that's, um, he used to talk about super signature. That was Dean, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, no, sorry. I think it's Taki, the hot potato or whatever. One of those guys. A lot of Dean Jackson things make its way into um, our conversations, the super signature, the nine-word email. That's it. The nine-word email. The who, not how. Yeah. You know, and do that and only ever ask a person. I think you once said, you know, in a car dealership, you don't expect to sell them the car straight away. You know, you first want to welcome them, find out what they are, then get the keys. And, you know, it's like steps. And I think on LinkedIn, it's no different. It's building relationships, it's a new face-to-face meeting. But I just see some people go straight for the kill. And, you know, unfortunately, they're making it easier for the guys that don't do that. They do come in and ask really stupid things like, hey, tell me about yourself. Like if someone came up to me and beside me at the coffee shop and said, hey, tell me a bit about yourself, I'm like, what? Um, like, especially on LinkedIn, like your profile, they could go and click on my website. They could find out quite a lot about me. They, well, they could listen to 700 podcast episodes to start with. They'd get a fair bit of context. <laughs> but they do some weird stuff in that message. I don't do any cold outreach in LinkedIn because I've got plenty of customers. But what we do is publish quite a lot of video content. And I think it works really, really well on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is just boring AF compared to Instagram or Facebook because it's a dry, serious place. Videos have massive cut through. I get by far the most views on LinkedIn than any other platform. 
and I get the most useful comments on there and people sharing. So that's hitting the mark. And I think especially for you, Paul, with the audience who you are chasing who have corporate experience, they're all going to be on LinkedIn or should have been because that's a place for people who had jobs or have jobs or want to get you know customers for business to business in particular. It's going to be a goldmine for them. Spot on. And it works really well because they're used to the platform because they've been on it. But most of them are coaches and consultants that are also selling to people that are on that platform. So, you know, it works uh, nicely with that. And there's a platform out there. So think of websites and Google Analytics. There's one called Shield. So it's shieldapp.ai. And that actually gives you analytics of your LinkedIn posts. And um, it's interesting what you're saying about video. Definitely get the best engagement from videos. But often at the moment, we're getting better results from a text and a photo. So I'd certainly recommend, you know, a mixture of formats. And we just look at the data and, you know, like, for example, Wednesdays is probably the best day to post. Like we've got, as I said, 80 80 now will be 100 by the end of the year where we're all looking at each other's data and then using that data to make facts-based decisions what we do because no one gives you a LinkedIn handbook to say, hey, by the way, here's the algorithm and here's exactly what you do. You know, you've got to work it out by experimentation, but that Shield app really helps with that. Oh, that's good. It's a little bit like SEO, I suppose. They don't necessarily publish you the algorithm, but you can get some clues if you consolidate some information with a few others. And I know Alana Wexler from teachtraffic.com raves about your group. And she's been getting amazing success with it. If someone wants to join that group, how would they go about that? Yeah, so if they go to buildlivegive.com and just under the services, it's just called More Leads. So it's um, as simple as that on the homepage. Well, I like the simplicity you're displaying here, Paul. (laughs) I'm after my own heart. Well, who do you think I learned that from? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know but you've definitely you've transformed in the time I've known you from finding some of these things a little bit challenging to just nailing it and really hitting the mark and of of course publishing a book is a big achievement and uh, I can see that that's going really well I've seen a few posts floating around and I think you have one of the most informative LinkedIn accounts of anyone that I'm seeing in my feed so keep that up and I certainly appreciate having had all the interactions we've had and the fact that you come to the events and you've been always so supportive what are you excited about next? So you've done the build part. Are you you're going to go for the live part next? You sort of preluded that before. Is that the next thing you're excited about? Yeah, look, uh, well, I've still got some work to do with the build, which is, you know, I want to give people an option. So if you're in a job, you leave and you want to start your own business and you want to you know, not take five years like I did until I found you and you want to condense that, well, that's what I want to spread further. So the book is part of that. Obviously, the podcast is part of that and doing more with that. And then once I've got that right, then I can get people in so I can actually then focus on the live. So it's probably still, you know, six to 12 months away. And the other thing I want to do is do more on more online content. I know there's still like 5%, you know, if you hear the numbers, it's 5% of people complete a course, but I want to be able to at least have another option other than the book to help people through this journey. So my, you know, five rapid growth drivers framework, you know, I really want to focus and, and put that online next year and make it easy for people to do that as a do-it-yourself. Nice. 
And are the five rapid growth drivers are things that you share with people publicly? Is it something you can talk about yeah. or is it a secret? No, definitely not. I'm hoping it's the worst kept secret, but, uh, but it still probably is. <laughs> but look, uh, I'll just quickly go through them. The first one is personal effectiveness. And, you know, we've talked a lot about this already, but technology, the right mindset and a VA, uh, I think a virtual assistant. Ideal clients are really being niche. So your LinkedIn profile, no one should be, you know, a seven-year-old should be able to read your LinkedIn profile and know exactly who you serve and, and how you do that. Business model, which I learned a lot from you, you know, subscription-based, recurring revenue, you know, the right pricing structure. Uh, then sales focus, and that's about, you know, getting that offer that converts. And uh, LinkedIn is certainly part of that, but there's other things to do to build leads and then convert them. And last is the high-performing team, which is, you know, removing all those hats you wear. And, you know, I listen to your podcast all the time and you talk about it, but, you know, getting great experts to do something that you either don't have time to, don't have skill to do. And we've collected 400 of those around the world. So when someone says, hey, Paul, you know, I want a website developer, like Justin Meadows, for example, is doing some work from us after listening to him on your podcast, you know, we can actually refer people that they can try because James, before I met you, I just burnt so much money on picking the wrong people. I thought everyone was like at Coke. You'd say, oh, okay, you're going to work for Coke, so you must be the best in the world at what you do. Just come and work for me and it'll be fine. And, you know, one guy, 15 grand US, I gave him in my second year to do an online course and I never saw the light of day. He just disappeared. What? And he's still out there promoting himself as a great guy, but he just literally left the building, left the building with 15K. Oh, that's just unacceptable. And you would have thought with social media and transparency that more of these people get you know caught up with. But it's funny you mentioned Justin, actually. I just asked him recently to help us speed up our site because he's got a good knack for that and uh, he's a great supplier. You Spot on. Good supply can make all the difference between heartache or success. I've been spending a little more with contractors in the last year with things like design, uh, with Greg Merrilies, copywriting with Brian McCarthy, SEO with Gert Malik, and my team have also been tuning up SPF records and DKIM, and there's always something to do, isn't there? Yeah, and then we're going to speed up our site with Justin. <laughs> but once you've got the offer that converts, once you've got a good traffic flow, I mean, your five things are just like my four things, except you've got an extra thing. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, that's all you need to get covered. And, uh, you you know, you just keep like that Kaizen principle, keep finding the weakest part, the bit that's broken, as my friend uh, Corey Basaraba talks about. Just keep focusing on what's holding you back, the constraint, and uh, strengthen it, and you'll just keep building momentum as my business has at a more mature phase now and as you're doing, which is just phenomenal. And it's really great to chat. Uh, just in parting, have you got a tip for people who are publishing a book? Because having just been through that process, was there anything you did that you thought was particularly clever or got a great result? Yeah, look, um, first thing I did is I got a book coach. And just to help me write it. So Kath Walters helped me with that. And she was ex, uh, wrote for BRW, which is a major publication in Australia. And she was brilliant. She gave me a framework and we did this. So it was basically a podcast interview. And then she went away and did the transcription and brought it back to me. So when my health wasn't great, I really struggled to write, but doing that. So that was brilliant. And she gave me a great structure. So that was good. And then uh, uh, Linda Dingle, who is part of uh, Superfast Business Community, she helped me with the publishing part. And she's been amazing, absolutely uh, amazing. I, I've got quite a lot of quotes and just, you know, I got sort of that corporate feel with some of the publishers, but uh, she was excellent. So I'd get someone to do that. Even if you've got a team, don't try to do it yourself. 
And then the last one is one that I'm still learning, James, is marketing. So, you know, big shout out to Alan Dibb, who's helped me a lot with Amazon, but I'm still learning on that. And, um, you know, I'll definitely take all those learnings into my second and third book. Yeah, Alan's a bit of a force with the marketing. And I've been running Amazon ads after speaking with Alan because I get to speak to him a fair bit doing some work with him. And we had a look at the numbers that are happening from the paid side, and it's most definitely worth turning those on if you haven't already. And in some cases, you can get $2 back for every dollar spent, which is probably the uh, heydays for Amazon yeah. advertising. Maybe after this podcast comes out, the costs will start to go up a little bit. <laughs> uh, but you got a few weeks, I think, to get in there <laughs> and rise it through the ranks. Good one. Oh, Paul, it's been really enjoyable catching up and going down memory lane of both our respective corporate careers. And we've arrived at the same place, which is that we can have this business working from anywhere. I'm in the Philippines at the moment. You're in Australia. The wonders of modern technology just, you know, make it really special. Yeah. And, you know, I think for me, a lot of people try to get work with people that are like 10 steps ahead of them or 20 steps ahead of them. And, you know, James, what I always love is, you know, you're certainly many steps ahead of me, but I look at what you do and you inspire so many and you help so many. And that sort of helped me. So my life you know, I would not be where I am today if we hadn't met and started working together in 2016. My kids, every night, basically, we talk about that eight weeks we spent in Europe, and I was earning money in a mastermind that I think you and I set up in a week or two weeks from a simple email. <laughs> you know, so yep. yeah, so yeah, I, like sometimes the, the short sales path is the best. <laughs> yeah, correct. It was sitting there. So yeah, I want to just say, you know, I continue to learn from you. It's great being in your community, and you know, I suppose what I'm doing is just helping people that, you know, are probably a little bit earlier in their journey and uh, helping them as much as I can. But yeah, I just want to say, you know, thanks again. And and your personal notes, like I said, when I was really sick, made a real boost for me. So once again, thank you for that. That's all right. You know, I, I think that just comes with having empathy. Like I really do get to know the people that I'm working with and you know, when things affect them, it affects me. You can't help it. But I also like to affect their success because if I can do that, it affects me in a really positive way. And it's one metric that guides me and makes me feel like I'm on the right track. So until next time, Paul, I'll see you on the LinkedIn and inside uh, Superfast Business. And I look forward to your next book as well. It'll be uh, not that far down the track, I'm sure, with the process you've got set up now. I think the second book's probably much easier. Yeah, brilliant. Excellent. Thanks for uh, having me on today, James. There you go. This is episode 700. You can get the full transcription at superfastbusiness.com. Search for episode 700. And I've been speaking with Paul Higgins from buildlivegive.com. What an awesome guy. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com.